guys, welcome back to Women for Wanawake. Wow, Nina, what an interesting conversation that we've just had with Helena. I mean, so many things struck me from what she said, which I hadn't previously thought about. Um, just how that irrespective of all the small changes that we try and make in our individual lives, that really without governments and big organizations, um, big stakeholders, that really this change is going to be quite minimal and slow moving, which is not to kind of take away from all the efforts that we're all making, you know, eating the right foods, plant-based diet, recycling, you know, not driving that much, not flying that much. But I thought it was interesting that, yeah, we really do need to come together with governments and our MPs even, you know, um, lobbying them to say, we really need your support. We need you to take this further, kind of scale it up. And then the synergies between women, uh, women's rights and climate change. I thought it was so interesting. Yeah, I thought it was really, really powerful, the whole conversation. Um, I thought we really bounced with each other proper well. And Helena is what a powerhouse she is. Um, yeah. And I agree. I think it's this top-down approach that often is out of our hands, but it's but it's not out of our hands. I think we feel that sometimes. So I think mm. she was really kind of on point with saying, you've got to write to your MP, you can change the system if you try. And also maybe even apply to be an MP yourself or yeah. become a person that is making the decisions because right now the ones making the decisions are quite questionable characters. So um, I'm hoping that this podcast maybe inspires some people to potentially stand um, and really just hold their government to account. Absolutely. And so guys, we really hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And um, this is kind of whet your appetite to find out more about other ways that you can um, make a change and contribute to ending the, the climate crisis. And also it's an opportunity for us to research. I think that's something that I've learned just from listening to Helena, that there's a lot I don't know and, and not taking things for granted uh, what's out there. Actually, um, you know, being like an investigative journalist myself and like trying to find out things and, um, and doing the right thing in terms of uh, making a change. Exactly. So, yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And please do write to us, DM us, email us, let us know what you thought, any questions you have. We're more than happy to, to talk to you about it. Wicked. Hope you enjoy, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have Helena with us today, who's otherwise known as Earth by Helena or known as Helena Bennett. Um, and we want to say firstly, thank you so much for joining us and that we absolutely love your work. We actually met Helena online, which is very millennial or generation Z of us, uh, because we were searching for inspirational women and Helena's page and self is just that. It's inspiring and she's empowering. Um, we love the way you break down complicated climate and social issues into a visually beautiful story and for your followers especially, and for anyone wanting to find answers and solutions to combat the climate emergency. Um, so do you think you could tell us and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your work and your climate activism, Helena? Hello, yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I guess my kind of climate journey began, um, well, I mean, when I was really young, my parents were always quite into environmentalism and, you know, the small things like recycling and turning off lights and stuff. So I guess in a way I've always had that kind of hanging over me a little bit. 
Um, but it wasn't really until a few years ago that I started getting properly into climate activism. I joined Extinction Rebellion really early on, at, actually at the first protest, um, as part of their media and messaging team. Um, I managed the Instagram account for 18 months, um, the international one. So watched it grow from like a thousand followers to uh, over half a million, I think it is now. Um, and part of that role was kind of also organizing um, protests, organizing how we covered protests, talking to, you know, big names that would get in contact with us, interviewing people, that kind of stuff. It was really, really interesting. Um, and then kind of through XR and through different people I knew, I started becoming more aware of uh, climate justice and the principles of climate justice what it really means to have a fair and equitable society and how social justice issues are really interlinked with environmental and climate issues um, and, I, and a lot of my activism now focuses around that kind of um, like people-centric idea so I actually work with the Climate Vulnerable Forum um, which is a group that represents 40 countries that are the most uh, vulnerable to the impacts of climate change and they're represented at uh, big international negotiations and big international meetings um, and they basically for example um, I did, sorry I don't know if your listeners are aware of the Paris Agreement but basically a huge international agreement that was signed in 2015 in Paris and the Climate Vulnerable Forum really lobbied hard for getting a 1.5 degree um, target into the Paris Agreement. Um, they basically do loads of really great work around making sure that the narrative of people suffering from climate change today is heard on the global stage. So I'm really like grateful for an opportunity to work with them and a, a lot of my activism has stemmed from learning about the stories of people on the front lines of the climate crisis. Um, I've also done some political activism and campaigning with the Green Party in the UK, um, which has been really, really interesting. I've absolutely loved working with them. Um, and kind of from from now on, I've started doing a little bit more uh, political campaigning and and activism stuff behind the scenes as well. Um, there's some really big issues we've got in the UK with how our democracy is run and how it's looking and what it means for the for the future of the UK. Um, and so that's kind of where my activism is taking me at the moment. Um, and of course, all this is still really closely interlinked with climate change and climate justice, um, because of course, unless we have a really good democracy and a solid social standing. Um, then we're never going to get anywhere on things like climate action. Um, and last year, about a year ago, I started a master's degree in global environmental change and policy at uh, Imperial College in London. I finished that in the middle of September. Um, my research mostly focused on human rights and climate change. It was super interesting research. I'm really grateful I've got to um, kind of interview the people that I did. Um, I had a, actually a really good time writing it. A lot of people <laughs> um, who I was, who were my um, peers at the time, my um, course mates really didn't enjoy it, but I had a great time. Um, and yeah, so kind of human rights, climate change, social justice are all the areas of activism um, I'm quite experienced in. And yeah, moving forward, I think a little bit more politically focused as well. Um, so yeah, that's me. Um, wow, that's a really interesting um, background and you've had a, you know, really good opportunities to kind of teach people and engage with people about um, climate change and the climate crisis. And I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned about democracy being linked to climate change and also and, cli and the global cri climate global crisis and also about human rights, because I think people don't often see that as interlinked and social justice. So that leads on, us, us on nicely to our next question, um, which is, you know, for those who deny that climate change is an issue, um, how would you explain it in a way that people that people can understand that how it affects their daily lives and their loved ones in generations to come 
um, if this matter is not resolved? Yeah, good question. I think there's a really key distinction to make between um, active climate deniers and people that are just kind of a bit ignorant about the subject, because I have been in kind of in-person debates with literal climate change deniers. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh, it's nothing to worry about, like people that are actually denying the science and the evidence in front of them. And I think it's just really important to recognize that and just save your energy. Those people are not willing to listen to science and evidence. So don't pump time and energy into trying to convince them. That's because that's the, that, I mean, that's the reason we understand climate change and why it exists and why we're trying to take action because of, you know, 99% of the world's scientists agree. We've got huge international bodies that have put so much research into climate science. We know it's happening. We know the impacts of it. We don't need to spend our time chatting and debating people that are just going to blatantly ignore science but what is interesting is trying to mobilize people that aren't really aware of climate change or are a bit indifferent or ignorant and um, which i think is kind of where your question was leading um, and you're totally right i think there's a couple of ways to look at it and one is from the more um selfish point of view so how is it going to impact you and your children and your grandchildren in the future um, coming from a country like the UK, we are actually quite sheltered from climate change for now. I mean, even now we're already seeing, you know, extreme flooding, fires, storms, um, you know, hotter weather in the summer, warmer winters, etc. None of those things are massively life-threatening at the moment, um, but they will be in 10, 15, 20 years time, maybe even sooner, depending on what happens with global temperatures. So really hammering home that kind of, this is going to impact you in 10 years time, in 15 years time. And, you know, even things like, people that are a bit more influential who might own businesses that kind of thing looking at what the impacts are going to be on their well-being and their businesses and their livelihoods because you know a lot of businesses even just little things like people who have i don't know a fish and chip shop on the coast sea level rise is going to have an impact on that coastal erosion from sea level rise is going to have an impact on that so really bringing it home to what it means for that person right then and there but then the other aspect that's really really important that i usually try and play on more is actually the fact that there are communities and people around the world who are suffering really badly from the impacts of climate change right now and it's not something that's going to be happening in 10 15 20 years time it's already been happening for the last five years the amount of warming we've already seen has damaged a lot of communities beyond repair lots of communities have been displaced so you know indigenous communities in canada and alaska for example they're seeing a lot of melting ice places where they traditionally live fish hunt uh do their work they're having to move away from those places that they their ancestors have lived on for thousands of years we're seeing the same thing in uh, on island nations specifically in the south pacific rising sea levels are causing people to not be able to live in the same communities anymore rising sea levels are also causing salination of uh, clean drinking water that kind of thing we're seeing raging fires in the amazon in australia um, there are people that are literally dying and having their lives completely turned over by climate change today so playing on that story to people about this isn't something for you in the future this is a reality for other people right now is such a powerful way of kind of bringing bringing the reality of climate change to people's minds and i think what i've really tried to do with you know my activism online and also partly this is partly my work with the climate vulnerable forum is is bringing those stories to life um but i mean you know know your audience know who you're chatting to kind of read the room if it's someone that's not going to be moved by a story of people having to leave their ancestral homes then hit them with the you know what's going to happen to you and your business in 10 years kind of thing Thank you so much, Lena. I think like you're totally right. The audience is 
your, your, your kind of argument dictates depending on your audience. So I know if you're saying like if you're talking to your grandparents, it may be easier for them to compute just what's happening to them now um, rather than relating to people all across the world. But obviously that's subjective. And I think this is the thing, it is so subjective as you were saying, but then it is objective in the sense that it's gonna affect us all, whether you're in denial about it or not. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your response and you've done so much already, which is really, really inspiring for our listeners. And um, what I also wanted to ask, for myself as well, as well as I'm sure Paris is interested about this too, is how can we contribute to saving the environment in our everyday lives? Like, for example, I'm a vegetarian. I have been since I was eight years old, but I didn't do that initially because of the environment. But now I've learned more that that can help. So any little things that we could do, any kind of changes to our lives, what would you suggest? Sure. So I think, uh, I imagine if people are listening to this podcast, they're already probably quite aware of the little things that people should be doing to, you know, contribute towards, um, you know, stopping climate change, stopping environmental degradation, etc. So yeah, you know, going vegetarian, plant-based, changing the way you travel, switching to, you know, reusable alternatives, all that kind of stuff. Um, but actually, whenever these kind of conversations about, you know, individual changes come up, I can't help but try and steer the conversation a little bit more towards um, this this idea of system change and yes small individual changes are great and yes they they have their own role but actually if, it, if everybody went vegan and everybody stopped flying we still wouldn't stop the really damaging root causes of climate change and that's you know big fossil fuel companies governments taking in action big businesses imploring people to keep consuming keep consuming um ruining you know um local habitats environmental degradation all that kind of stuff doesn't stop just because we all go vegetarian or vegan so although although i do personally live that kind of lifestyle myself i have the privilege of being able to do that not everybody does and that's why i try really hard to advocate for system change um it's quite difficult to kind of make tangible what that means for an individual um a lot of the kind of activism stuff that i've explained doing that kind of thing is is one form of getting involved in system change um, but actually what's i think more important is when you try and make these changes yourself so going vegetarian for example or you know changing the way you travel is really kind of amplifying that behavior and talking to other people who have the privilege to make that choice about it so you know me making one change in my life can have a have a ripple effect that you're not even aware of um, people picking up on your behaviors people understanding why you're doing things and actually the more people that understand those ideas and those issues the more people that are going to get behind wanting a cause to change so wanting for example to save the climate from catastrophic warming and when you have a big group of people wanting to save the climate from catastrophic warming, that in itself is a form of system change. That in itself is a form of a mass group of people wanting a different way of living or a different type of society or whatever the issue is. In this case, you know, climate change, for example. So, so yes, those small little things can make a difference, but actually it's that collective action and that collective um, acknowledgement that things need to change that's what really causes system change so you know the very bare minimum of voting for example having a lot of people understand an issue and therefore voting on it but having a lot of people understand an issue and causing a fuss about it raising awareness about it talking to people about it taking to the streets demanding things from government demanding things from business those are the things that are really going to make actual big changes um, in society around the world that we really need to see in order to do things like stop climate change 
Um, having said that, <laughs> yeah, being I am plant-based, I haven't flown for a year and a half and I don't intend to for another six months or so, been made a bit easier by the pandemic, I have to say. Um, you know, I guess all the little things, recycling, switching to reusables, um, buying things secondhand. Actually, one of the biggest things I would I would suggest to people is trying to stop buying clothes firsthand, shopping secondhand. I've, I've been doing that for about a year and a half, two years now, maybe. Barely bought any new clothes. My wardrobe's never been more fashionable. And I'm actually not joking. I'm not even a very fashionable person. <laughs> so <laughs> is that a form of, Helena, is that a form of carbon offsetting then? Just so our listeners maybe who don't understand what that is. If you could go into that a bit more. Sorry, you mean with the secondhand clothes? Yeah. So you, you could, so for example, if I did take a flight, how do I carbon offset that? So your carbon footprint, right? The, the amount of carbon... I don't know the correct terminology for it, but that is generated from that one flight, then can you offset that in your everyday life? Because I know, of course, system change is so important, but let's say you're not an activist and you're not part of the, well, you are part of system change, which is by changing your life, but how do you actually offset that? How does that work, the whole offset? Okay. Carbon? Yeah, sure. So, so, yeah, sure. So the idea of offsetting is, is bringing yourself back down to being a carbon neutral person or having a carbon neutral activity so taking a flight for example um, you emit I know let's say uh, one ton of co2 of carbon dioxide in order to offset that flight you have to bring you have to basically take that same equivalent of carbon dioxide back out of the atmosphere that's what offsetting is it's taking out the same amount that you put in and the way to do that is well, there's, there's a few different ways you can do that. The main one that people use is tree planting. So planting trees helps absorb CO2 from the atmosphere. So a lot of these big offsetting companies will say, okay, where did you fly? Okay, London to New York, that emits 1.2 tons of CO2. Therefore, you need to reabsorb 1.5 or 1.2 tons of CO2 into the soil, into the, into the trees by planting the right number of trees that will absorb that amount of carbon dioxide. Um, the issue is it doesn't it doesn't really work like that in practice. Um, there's a lot of issues with offsetting. If, if you get me started on it, I'll talk about it for half an hour. Um, but there are some good uh, organisations out there that 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 do it well. Um, yeah, so that that's what carbon offsetting is. So buying secondhand isn't necessarily carbon offsetting because you're not putting anything extra into the atmosphere, um, but you're not taking anything out of the atmosphere. All you're doing is stopping. The that chain of consumerism so you're not buying something new that has taken energy to create basically mm. and that's actually really interesting to hear the response to the previous question um and from what i've got from that is really it's about people coming together unity to create change i think a lot of people and i have as well um thought that because i'm doing my little bit of not eating meat all the time or walking and not driving and that that's really going to make an impact and obviously it doesn't mean that it isn't but i need to be more committed to doing this and even if it means going to work and encouraging my employers to really be conscious about the environment um and i think that's going to take that's going to be harder to change but i think unless we do that from what you're saying then you know it's going to be slow um and also i think my biggest issue in terms of trying to be greener is the lack of accessibility from a number of things so depends on the area that you live in and also economics i think you know if you can buy a cheeseburger for a pound um but if you want to buy a can of beans it's two or three pounds i mean it's just completely unrealistic for so many people and going to be more more unrealistic for people um as we go into this economic crisis and covid and everything so i mean how how could we at home and you know when economics are hard um still make a system change and we're at home how, how do you have any 
ideas of what we could do. Cause I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are like, I want to still continue doing things, but it's quite hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I see, um, there's, I mean, there's lots of, yeah, you're right. It is, it is different being what, what you would call an activist than it is being just a kind of, you know, regular person that wants to get into it. I mean, I would argue that anyone that's kind of deliberately trying to make change and, and influence other people to make change that in itself is a form of activism. Um, for me, I find kind of engaging in politics really empowering like this, you know, talking to your MP, your local councillors, um, about issues that are important to you there's always letter templates out there if you find an issue really important to you uh, that you want to raise awareness about sometimes MPs really engage with this sometimes they don't sometimes it's going to require you emailing them multiple times before they reply you know um, but then there's also you know lots of I mean even just things like following certain pages on Instagram to understand you know what it means to organize a movement and organize a protest and yes we can't be on the streets right now but you know there are other ways to to organize remotely and to protest remotely and we've seen this with the uh, digital strikes that have been happening since march uh, fridays for future have been hosting every friday um you know there's lots of different kind of online campaigns like this that are spreading awareness and changing people's minds and like you say that in itself is is you know a form of a form of system change a form of activism great thank you and this leads us on nicely to our next question so what is your take on the drawdown initiative um, and the regen regenerating of soil as a response to ending climate change. So I don't know whether you know a lot about the Drawdown Initiative. I do, yeah. It was, it yeah, was, um, yeah, it's one of the first kind of prep site, but I got the book version and I read it um, <laughs> like a 12-year-old like a reading Harry Potter. Yeah, I couldn't put it down. It's, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, for anyone that doesn't know, it's um, basically a piece of big piece of research and analysis that analyzes the top 100 solutions to drawing climate uh, drawing climate back down, so drawing emissions back out of the atmosphere, basically. Um, and I think, like most people, I was really surprised with some of the stuff that was in the top mm. ten. You know, empowering women and girls was uh, at the time. I think it was solution number six when I read it, and I think I saw recently that it's actually shifted up to like solution number three or something. But I'd need to check the, the um, numbers on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, things like that, things that are actually quite like social solutions, really having a big impact on how much um, carbon dioxide we can draw down from the atmosphere. And then, of course, there are the obvious things like, you know, moving to solar energy, planting more trees, preserving peatlands and wetlands, uh, building wind turbines, all that kind of stuff. Um, in terms of soil health, I think it's such a kind of overlooked and underrated way of drawing carbon back down into the soil, uh, sorry, from the atmosphere. Um, it's health, it makes the soil healthier, it gives us better yields of crops. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the idea of bringing regenerative agriculture practices into every type of agriculture and farming we do is a great idea. I think it should be part of every climate plan. Mm. Um, it's not at the moment, unfortunately, but you know, who knows going forward, we might start to see the, the, the kind of, um, uh, what's the phrase I'm trying to say? You know, the, the, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> when people realise, you know, when people realise, <laughs> yeah, that uh, the penny drop. That's what I'm trying the to say. Penny drop. That's the one. <laughs> and they start to realise that soil actually is such a powerful way of drawing carbon back down from the atmosphere that mm. we might start to see those kind of principles integrated more into like our agricultural system. Yeah, mm. it's interesting um, you say that, Elena, because my mum's been a gardener for 40 years now, and 
you should speak to her about soil is <laughs> her passion even how worms and the importance of worms and even yeah, just all of that it's so so interesting yeah and I thought it was really interesting as well that you brought up about um women empowering women as part of a response to fighting climate yeah. change and this is something I'm listening to a podcast by Catherine Wilkinson. oh yes I love her um, yeah yes yeah, she's amazing and and she even cried in this piece it was so moving oh. and you know her 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 TED talk was about how empowering women yes. can and girls can stop um can help stop global warming and yeah. she was like you know there are two uh, powerful phenomena unfolding on this earth that the rise of warming and the rise of women and girls the link between them is often overlooked but gender equity gender equity is a key answer to the planetary challenge um, and so she talks about how in sub-saharan africa and, and east asia and um and southern asia that women are tend to be the ones who are actually going out and and you know mining crops and doing all this so they're really badly affected when the climate you know when people are being displaced like in amazon forest whatever um so it's really important that you said that so it'd be really good to hear your take on that a bit more um so yeah totally i've talked about this before um on my instagram and i actually did a talk on international women's day for bybee beauty at their sustainability summit um it was, yeah, it was on International Women's Day and I just wanted to focus on what the impact of educating women and girls and the, and the climate crisis is. I mean, the two issues are so deeply interlinked. Um, you know, the, the example that I think Catherine Wilkinson talks about that I, I try and remember the stats for, but my brain's not very good with remembering numbers, but um, is around um, women on the same amount of land produce like 60% less um, crops or something because they don't have the resources, the knowledge, the um, technology, the expertise, all the money to um, produce the same amount of, uh, of, of crops as men. And just by educating these women and girls about those particular things can, can invigorate the land so much, can really bring the soil health back up, can bring the crop yield up makes the land more productive and also actually empowers the women and girls to you know work for themselves and create their own little economy in the areas they're living in um, and it also means in terms of the climate that you're not making more space for the extra food that we need so if they're producing more food it means you don't have to go and cut down a forest over there to produce that same amount of food so yeah two issues completely inextricably linked and you know, Catherine Wilkinson's work is all really amazing. Um, anyone that's listening to this, I would also highly recommend listening to her TED talk. It's only about 15 minutes long, it's on a podcast. So yeah, go give it a listen. I probably quoted her stats completely wrong there. That was really, really powerful. Um, Cause I kind of wanted to lead on to, the, on to what's just happened, which is the US election. And that links to what Paris was saying about the importance of basically environmental justice as social justice. And the more girls in education, the easier it's going to become to actually combat this climate emergency that we're in right now. And so I wanted to ask you about your opinion towards Harris and Biden being elected as now the vice president and the president of the United States of America and what this means as well for the global climate agenda and um, the upcoming COP, is it COP25? I'm sure you're, uh, you're a better place to explain this and the 26. Paris Climate Agreement. Yeah, 26, 26. Sure. So, um, yeah, so Trump pulled out of the Paris Agreement. Um, well, he announced that he was going to do it in 2017, June 2017, but actually uh, it wasn't until last year that he formally withdrew. Um, but that didn't come into effect until the uh, 4th of November, 5th of November, 4th, I think, this year. So the US actually only technically drew out of the Paris Agreement a couple of 
days ago, but actually it doesn't really make that much difference because Trump didn't have any climate policies anyway. Um, so they weren't adhering to the Paris Agreement. They weren't, they didn't have a climate plan. They didn't have a net zero target. So the actual withdrawing itself, although monumental because no other country has withdrawn yet, it doesn't actually mean that much in terms of how it's changed America's climate policies yet. Um, and we know that Biden wants to rejoin the Paris Agreement. So when he gets inaugurated at the end of January, he's going to rejoin straight away. I think it takes about 30 days to technically rejoin. Um, but that doesn't mean that Biden can't still implement climate policies as soon as he becomes uh, president. Um, big issue for him is going to be trying to get stuff through the Senate. I think at the moment we're still unsure who has power over the Senate, but if it is the Republicans, he's going to really struggle to get some of his um, stricter policies through, I think. So Biden has a climate plan that aims to get the country down to net zero by 2050. Um, he wants a carbon neutral energy network by 2035. Um, so it's going to be things like heavy industry, like, you know, transport and buildings and stuff that takes up those extra 15 years. It's going to cost around $2 trillion and it's projected to create millions and millions of jobs. And hopefully those jobs are created through a just transition. So upskilling and retraining people who come from the fossil fuel industry, fracking, oil, uh, coal, gas, and upskilling them in, you know, how to work in the renewable energy sector, basically, which is entirely possible. We've seen it done in other countries and there's no reason why the US can't do it as well. Um, there is probably a lot of your listeners have probably heard of the Green New Deal that is spearheaded by um, mm -hmm. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ed Markey and the Sunrise Movement. Um, the Green New Deal actually wanted to get to net zero by 2030 and um, was going to cost 10 trillion. So it was a much more ambitious plan. Um, but but actually would have really led the way for the rest of the world in terms of climate policy. What Biden's doing is a lot more by the book. It's kind of 2050s in line with what a lot of other countries are doing, the EU, the UK, Japan, et cetera. Um, but I mean, it's still monumental for the world's largest economy and second largest polluter. And, you know, with any luck, it will happen sooner. Um, Biden has a few ties to the fossil fuel industry, which are for, for people that you know, know about his plan and stuff, which are a bit worrying. He has said that he isn't going to ban fracking um but you know pennsylvania which is a key swing state for him provides thousands of jobs in the fracking industry so i can understand why at you know the time of campaigning he perhaps promised one thing but then will you know backtrack you know whether or not that's the right thing to do in terms of what he's promised to pennsylvanian voters who knows um you know if he provides them upskilling and retraining and jobs then you know maybe the outrage outrage won't be there um, but actually, you know, fracking does really need to go if we want to get down to carbon, carbon neutrality. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, anything is better than having Trump in power and someone that doesn't want any climate action. Say that again. That. Yeah. Um, you know, Biden is very clear that he does believe in climate change. He wants to listen to the scientists. He does want action, whether or not that action is enough. You know, personally, I think they could be a bit more ambitious. I think most countries could be a bit more ambitious, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, anything's better than Trump. So at this stage, it seems like a victory. Yeah, definitely. And so in comparison to obviously what's happening in America, with us leaving the EU, you know, how do you think that will impact us over here um, in the UK in terms of our climate work or what we're trying to do to get the emissions low and yeah. be more environmentally conscious? Sure. So our... Um Theresa May announced the UK becoming net zero in June last year. So way after Brexit was announced, way after we kind of decided that we were leaving and that, you know, deals started being negotiated. 
Um, and so I think from a government point of view, the plan is always to get to net zero without any input from the EU. The fact that the EU has also decided to go to net zero is therefore kind of, you know, neither here nor there for the UK. Um, it's interesting looking at some kind of, some of the kind of stronger en energy policies that they do have across Europe. Um, in the UK, we, you know, we barely use any coal anymore. We are still quite tied to the fossil fuel industry. Our government still subsidizes fossil fuels. In fact, I think, I think it was 2018, the UK was the largest subsidizer of fossil fuels in the whole of the EU. Um, you know, Boris Johnson's actually spoken quite a lot about climate change and he, you know, is adamant that he believes in it and he thinks we need action, but, but we're not really seeing any action. Um, and the UK has an advisory group called the Committee on Climate Change that published uh, in, I think, kind of March, April, May time this year, a report that basically damned the government saying they had taken no action based on the plan that had been laid out last year. Um, and at the time, there wasn't even the excuse of COVID, you know, to say that this is the reason we're not taking any action. Um, and yeah, since, since that announcement was made, the kind of movement towards net zero hasn't really been there. Um, hopefully we'll start to see it a bit more. You know, the UK is hosting COP26, um, as you said, Nina, next year, which was supposed to be this year, but it's been delayed due to COVID. Um, so it would, it's kind of embarrassing if the UK, you know, is hosting this big climate summit and telling the world that action is needed without actually doing anything themselves. So I'm kind of hoping once, you know, well, I'll say once COVID is over, but who knows, you know, once we start focusing on things other than covid which again who knows when that will be that the uk can start to try and bring itself into a really good position and feel like a world leader especially going into cop 26 um so yeah i'm not entirely sure brexit's going to have a massive impact on that mm. there could be people out there that know more about that than me but i, I so, don't think so so helen i actually have a um a complimentary but slightly opposing opinion i think it's maybe because of because of my activism involved in the anti-brexit movement so i'm definitely biased so i'm speaking for a biased lens right now um but in terms of the uk when we're a party to international agreements sometimes we are so because of our membership of the european union and so in terms of um environmental international treaties then that is kind of brought into a bit of disrepute in terms of our commitment to certain to certain obligations um so for example capping on carbon emissions which was an eu initiative so there's been quite a few eu environmental policies and laws that have come about because of the european union pushed by them and because we won't be part of the eu anymore yes we can set our own climate agenda but we're less held to account so it means that when we do have a questionable cabinet government like we do have right now with boris johnson who does say that he wants to be green but we haven't seen that much evidence for it. Um, so I do, I'm a little bit apprehensive in terms of accountability and actually following our closest neighbors, the continent that we are still part of, um, as we know of transboundary harm and other kind of polluting things that it, cross, it crosses boundaries. So really you should be working with the country closest to you because you will pollute together, right? Um, so that's, for me personally, I think it has been quite, effective or rather not great for to basically re net, reach net zero if the UK is then off doing its own thing but that's that's one of the good things I thought about the EU was that you can work together to fight climate to fight the climate emergency as a unit and then working with other continents working with other supranational organizations for example like the African Union of Nations is massively more organized now there is the um association of southeast asian nations as well 
that have kind of like taken the leaf out of the EU's book and they're working together now more in sync on their climate agenda too. So I see it as like a little bit regressive, but not, as you said, like it's good if the government does stick to really trying to reach net zero by 2030, that's great. But we're less held to account. That's my only thing. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're totally right. Um, and with things like the Paris Agreement, they're non-binding anyway. So yes, we can set these targets, but you're right, there's no one to hold you. I mean, you know, the US actively didn't, include any new climate policies when Trump came into power despite having signed the Paris Agreement and there's absolutely no consequences for them at all. Um, I I like to think that, I mean I'm kind of just reiterating what you've said, but I'd like to think that because there has been quite a lot of fuss made about this because we are hosting COP26 that we will start to see changes, um, but I mean you know all previous action from this government points to the opposite, so um, yeah, who knows? You're right. There isn't there isn't that level of accountability by not being in the EU. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll probably just have to wait and see with that one what what happens. I think there's a big role for you know activists and and civil society mm. and consumers to play in holding the government accountable. Um, but I actually also think you know something else that's also really relevant in the US is this idea of like you know devolution and and local communities and cities and townships taking control of their um, emissions themselves you know Bristol has committed to being net zero god I can't remember the year now earlier than 2050 2040 maybe yeah they were um, one of the first various, weren't they various other towns are doing it counties are doing it Scotland has got its own commitments you know so and it's the same in the US if Trump hadn't if Trump had one again, they could, you know, states and towns and cities could create their own targets and, and work towards them regardless of what his own policies were. I'd like to think that we might start doing that in the UK. You know, loads of businesses have got net zero commitments. So, so yeah, it's, you're right, the, that accountability might not be there from a kind of European Parliament point of view anymore. Um, but people like you and I, I guess, are here <laughs> to try and hold them accountable. Unfortunately, we won't be able to find them big amounts of money. But. Um, but I think it's really good um, what you're both saying about, you know, bringing it local, um, because I think that that will probably be the way the way to go forward. I think, you know, yes, the government have a big um, responsibility um, nationally, but us in terms of our community and and how we contribute to all these emissions. And um, and I think it has to be like a top down thing. It has to be like an everybody's yeah. problem. Um, of course, the systems uh, will enable, you know, the biggest ripple of change, ripple of change. But us every day if we're all coming together each day and our, you know writing to our MPs as you said in the beginning Helena and you know contacting organizations which you know just that will help and if they see that we're doing that just like we've seen with like the Black Lives Movement or the Me Too movement, people are just taking the change and and then going with it and so what we all just need to be doing that because I think we are holding people accountable now so yes we might not be legally bound um, or, or the governments might not be legally accountable but we are making them socially accountable to us saying like you said this you have to do this because this affects you know our generation future generations that that you know have to live in this but it might not i mean god knows you know with everything you know this is a very serious matter so they have to take it very seriously so i think that's really the way forward and that leads us on nicely to our final question um so we want to leave our listeners kind of uh, hopeful and empowered and inspired and i think they already listened to you they feel that way but really good to hear like a final message from you um on how you would want to change the world if you had like a magic wand how you'd want to change the world through a feminist lens just like a lasting empowering empower, inspirational 
message? Yeah, sure. That's a big question. God, if I had a magic wand, <laughs> <laughs> things I would do. <laughs> um, I think so. You know, climate change is one of the biggest threats to humanity that's um, you know ever existed, especially if we keep not taking action. And so it would definitely be one of the first things I addressed. But there are ways of integrating, you know, different social justice principles into fixing climate change. So, you know, making sure that reparations are paid to communities that have suffered the most and contributed the least and ensuring that the big polluters, you know, pay for the damage that's been done and are the ones that are trying really hard to, you know, reverse the harm that they've caused. Um, ensuring that the voices of frontline communities and indigenous peoples and you know communities of color are listened to as the ones that are suffering the most um, and I think in, in you know in terms of from a feminist lens like we've just seen in the US you know first female vice president um, a huge number of women um, have been elected to Congress especially women of color and uh, Native American women um, and you know, also a historic number of um, LGBTQ plus people have been elected. The yeah. you know, despite the fact that nearly half of America voted for Trump, actually, what we've seen from the other half is really, really progressive, and that really does make me feel you know quite hopeful about the future that there are people out there wanting this you know more liberal kind of progressive socially and culturally just world um, and through embedding those principles into everything we do that's the only way we're really going to solve the, the the root causes of climate change and other social justice issues that we're seeing today absolutely and nina and i echo exactly what you said and you know hope is a very big part we've been saying hope so many times but recently <laughs> but that's kind of why we are we are moving forward and, and change is coming about because people hope for a new day like they are confident and determined that some things will change so that's why we all have to keep going even though we can't always see it straight away but you know Kamala Harris wouldn't be here if she didn't have hope and people didn't hope and people didn't work hard so I think that goes the same with, with um, the climate and um, you know and the, the environment that we just have to keep hoping that better days will come and as long as we keep pushing that they will um, so yeah so thank you so much I'm, I'm really uh, pleased to have had you as a guest here for us and you know, we've really inspired by you and what you said, um, and we want to kind of continue to engage with you and the work that you're doing and support you as much as we can um, and learn from you and the work that you're doing. Exactly. Thank you so much, Elena. If you could give, up, give our listeners maybe your Instagram handle, because I know that I, I found you through Extinct Rebellion originally, but oh. just so everyone knows, yeah, so everyone knows you're at Instagram handle, any kind of like plug that you want to give so we can put it in the show notes below. <laughs> Sure. Um, so my Instagram is at uh, Earth by Helena. So um, H E L E N A. Um, I'm on Twitter as. Oh, hold on. What's my Twitter handle? <laughs> Your Helena Rose underscore. I just followed you. Oh wow, that's uh, amazing. Mark <laughs> Um Yeah, those are the two main places you'll be able to find me. Okay, great. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. You ain't got the time.